Hello, and welcome to Arcade Attack. No, this isn't Dylan, or Adrian, or Rob, or Keith, or Kev. No, I went and tied them all up, they're in the back. Yeah, don't worry about those guys. I'm feeding them, they're alive, they're not going anywhere. They're coming back, they're just going to let me do a special guest spot about the Super Nintendo console. Let me introduce myself, my name is Todd. Or in certain circles known as the Top Loader, who knows this console really well. Specifically, the music. So you're in good hands, and I know the back of my hand really well. Believe me, because I'm looking at it, and I can see it. <laughs> and I know it all the time, because I see it all the time. This is my own personal music playlist that I like to listen to, because I love the console so much. Maybe not so much from the Arcade Attack crew, because let's face it, they really love the Sega and the Amiga, which is fine, that's great. We all love that too, but let's just give the Super Nintendo some love as well. Welcome to Arcade Attack. <laughs> A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Sonic Boom! To start off, I'm going to go with my first track on the list from a game that is my second favourite game of all time, which is F-Zero. When I first heard this song, when I first played it in 1993 on Christmas Day, I died so many times in those first two levels. I'd always get to Big Blue, and then I'd just crash out and burn. But when I did finally make it to the Sand Ocean, the second I heard that song, I knew this game was for me. And you know what? I didn't even mind dying after that because it just takes you to a place that's not here. It sends you somewhere there. And that's where I'm going to send you right now, hopefully, in the tranquility of Sand Ocean. I'm going to send you there right now. So here it is. Sand Ocean.
Now, Keith from Arcade Attack once said that the F-Zero soundtrack was a little bit wishy-washy. And I do have to personally disagree, and that's okay, because not everybody is going to agree to agree on every single thing. So I'm personally going to disagree with his agreement of what he agrees with. Now, everybody has their own little opinion, and that's fine. But unfortunately, Keith, he is in no position to comment right now because his hands, they're a little bit tied. So now let's slide on through to the other side of the next soundtrack that I'm going to play, which comes in the form of Mega Man X. As he upgrades all his parts and all the different forms that he has available to him within the game's parameters, because that's the whole point of Mega Man X. He is X, he upgrades what he has. He starts off with the basic Mega Man setup, but then he upgrades throughout the game. Once you do the training section, you get a choice of 8 Mavericks to defeat. Now you have to do it in order, and I didn't know that when I first played this, because I never ever played a Mega Man game before. So the very first level that I played was Chill Penguin. And ironically, my decision was the correct one, because that was the actual first level that you're supposed to play. And Chill Penguin was the very first tune that I ever heard banging away on my eardrums. So my only last question would be, would be, what the game would ask, are you ready? really does hit the spot in my eardrum because it sounded so good. The whole soundtrack sounds really good and it just elevates that game just that little bit more to an already excellent game. So move over Mega Man and let Spider-Man or Venom swing on through because it's now their turn in the spotlight. Separation Anxiety is the next game that I'm going to be talking about. The game itself was released in 1995. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange title. And it's a follow-up to Maximum Carnage, which was released the year before. Both of the games are very bland 2D beat-em-ups. They're not that bad a game, to be honest, but they're not that great either. The two games, they look alike, they play alike, they sound alike. When you first load up the cartridge, you get hit with this awesome song. And also, if you beat the game, you end with the exact same song, but completely different. What do you mean by that? Well, it's the same song, but different. Completely different, actually. 
What? You're really confusing me. Don't worry about that, okay? So, which song do I go with? The one that you start with or the one that you end with? Well, I can't decide. And it's given me separation anxiety. So, I'm not going to decide. So, what I'm going to do is combine the two. Spider-Man and Venom. It's a two-player game where they work together. And you don't want to separate them because it's just going to give them anxiety, let alone myself. So, this is the opening theme and the end credits roll of the exact same song, but completely different. But don't shake your head too much, because you won't even be able to tell the difference between the two. Now let me ask you, 
What would a Super Nintendo sound test podcast be without a Donkey Kong Country game? Well, let me tell you, it wouldn't be a very good list at all. Back in 2002, I finally bought a game that eluded me for many years, and that game was Donkey Kong Country 2, composed by the great English composer David Wise. Some say that Donkey Kong Country 2 is the best game out of the original trilogy, but that is honestly debatable for me especially, because I really personally still love the first game. Either way, the games are great and the music is phenomenal. The track that I'm about to play was not even meant to be in the game at all, which is extremely surprising considering how good the track actually is. And if you haven't guessed by now, the track that I'm talking about is, of course, the one, the only, well, not the only, but one of the best, Stickerbush Symphony. Would you believe it was actually meant for a scrapped underwater level and a follow-up to the original Aquatic Ambiance? which is of course the basis for all the underwater level music themes of the original Donkey Kong Country, which in all honesty really does make much more sense because when I first played this in Bramble Blast, a level where you are blasting through barrel to barrel, avoiding bees and fawns, it didn't really fit at the time and it sure doesn't fit now. So as you listen, you can imagine those bees and fawns, or you can use your reimagination for the true sequel to Aquatic Ambiance in Stickerbush Symphony. <laughs> Thank you. 
The Super Nintendo really does have some easy listening music to listen to. And Stickerbush Symphony really is very easy to listen to. But something that's not so easy and is actually quite hard on the Super Nintendo, this is not a dirty joke I promise you, is Battletoads and Battle Maniacs by Rare. Ah, two Rare games in a row. Well, <laughs> and Rare, or Rareware, if you really want to go there, they were really all over the Super Nintendo. Battletoads in Battle Maniacs. Yeah, released in 1993, it was more of a remake of the Nintendo original. But, you know, instead of refining things and making it slightly easier in parts where it should be slightly easier in parts, no. They kept it just as hard, if not harder. All this game needed was a little bit more balancing out. Maybe a few more levels and balance out the difficulty in this game. Because this game really does have cracks. And just like the ground that we're walking on, it is rock hard. So tread carefully. Gameplay balancing issues aside, the one thing that they do get right... Rare, every time I do release the game, is they get the music right every single time. And this game is no different. Sure, the game is hard, but guess what? This song rocks pretty hard too, because we're going to go right into the depths of the first level, where the volcano is blasting away the land that you're walking on and fighting on, in Ragnarok Canyon. Are you ready to rock? Well then, let's roll!
Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. David Wise also did this soundtrack? He really is a rock star. Is there anything he can't do? David Wise, a name that everyone in the know knows. But if I asked you, are you familiar with the name Mal Mallard or Cold Shadow? You probably have a look on your face right now that was similar to my face when I first picked up this game in 2004. Why is there some sort of Ninja Disney duck on this box? I am confused here. Mal Mallard, Cold Shadow? What duck is this? Is this Howard the freaking duck? I never heard of this before. It's a Disney game. Disney games are usually very good. Disney games are usually games that I know about. But this one, I don't know about. Well, either way, it was developed by Disney Interactive Studios. Well, for the Mega Drive and PC. For the Super Nintendo version, it was developed by Eurocom Entertainment Software in 1996 for the PAL version. And 1997 for the US. Wowzers! Now that is what I call a late release. Now it makes sense. No wonder I'd never heard of this game before because I was way onto the PlayStation by that time in my life. When looking at the credits for the game, a name popped out to me that I sort of recognised. Michael Gia... Michael Giacchi. Michael Giacchino. Michael Giacchino. Gia, I recognise it, but I sure can't say it. I know I probably just butchered his name, so apologies to him and the family. So don't come after me, please. The field of animation really seems to be the place where he likes to play ball the most. Just going by his impressive resume, which does include the likes of many other animated projects such as The Incredibles and Ratatouille, Up, Inside Out, Coco, The Incredibles 2. That's just incredible, because there's some pretty good films with some pretty good soundtracks. So this is obviously not too far from the mark where he really does always seem to hit the mark. As he really did knock this one right out of the park. Now let's first dive into the underwater level. The Flying Duckman. Before reaching the surface as we then go into the Ninja Training Grounds. So relax, take a breath, a deep, deep breath. As we go down into the water, the Flying Duckman, and then drift away as we go up for air.
atmosphere. It's what the Super Nintendo is known for. It's what it excels in the most. And there is one game released in 1991 that stands as tall as Dracula's castle. As Konami's character, Simon Belmont waits eagerly to go inside. Super Castlevania 4, composed by Masanora Adachi and Taro Kudo. Again, I don't really know how to pronounce all these names, but I'm trying my best, I promise. Set out on a task to make this game immersive so that you can feel the atmosphere around you as you walk through the levels, as you action platform your way through the game. It may not be as deep as an RPG, but at times the music really does hit the notes that you need to tell a story, to go on a journey, to do something, to make yourself feel like you are actually in the game itself. So on that note, I'm going to create my own type of Super Castlevanian Symphony. I'm going to start my first movement down below within the echoey, drippy, naturally formed caves that surrounds us as I fight my way through up to the surface with my whip in hand. As we iconically stride our way, Simon Belmont style right through those Transylvanian gates. As we go through cellars and libraries on our journey to defeat the bosses on the way through as the map connects the dots from section to section. But don't worry, there is an end goal. There is a light that comes down as the final blow to defeat the evil of all evils, Dracula himself. <sighs> so, all dramatics aside, grab your whip, grab what you need, make a little snack pack. Let's go back to the caves and I will start my, what I call... My Super Castlevanian Symphony. Let's go.
you really can hear the story play out within the song itself. You don't even need any words to say. But unfortunately for you, I need my words to say right now to tell my story. So picture this story within your mind. Back in 1995, I was just sitting in my house, minding my own business, and I heard a knock at my door. Kind of like that. Hello, it's my friend. How you going? I've got this new game. Awesome. Let's go play it. He has a Super Nintendo, I have a Super Nintendo. When you don't have games yourself to play, a lot of the times, your friends have some games that you don't have. He brought over this game called Killer Instinct. What's this game? What is it? It's a fighting game. I was already well versed in Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter at that time, but I never had this game. He brought it over and we put it in. But he goes, hey, wait a minute. Let's put this CD on. CD, what? This came with a CD? What kind of Super Nintendo game comes with a CD? Well, this game did. So he puts it in and he goes straight to this one track called The Instinct. And my ears light up like it's Christmas because wow, what a moment in my life. So years later, remembering that moment in my life, I go looking for more Killer Instinct and the soundtracks. And coming across many different iterations as I'm in my search, I found this awesome cover song by this group called On Being Human. Now, this is the very first time that I'm going to use a cover song within this podcast, and the only time. And the only reason that I'm using a cover song for this song is because it is so good, it needs to be heard. And I want to share it with everybody, if you didn't know about it. It is hands down my favourite cover of any video game song ever created. But I haven't heard every single song ever made. They're all out there, I'm sure. There's some really great ones out there as well. You're probably thinking to yourself, hey, I know some better ones than this. You probably do. But for me, this is my personal favourite that I have personally heard. That fits and gets the feeling exactly right for what the song offered in the first place, which is key. And this song more than delivers the keynotes needed to make this an excellent cover of The Instinct. Just one thing. Adjust your earphones or your speakers because this is going to get loud.
sorry, I'm just getting in the groove because I've got my air guitar out. Another rare game, by the way. What do you want from me? They played some really good music on the Super Nintendo. Third time's the charm, I guess you could say. Now, speaking of rare, let's talk about another rare game. But not the actual company rare this time, no. A game that came out late, late, late in the Super Nintendo's life. Well, actually, 1995 isn't really that late, especially when compared to Mao Mallard and a few other games. But it's still decently late when you think about it. And what game am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about Chrono Trigger. And the game... Soundtrack is phenomenal. It is so good. I could put just about every single track on this list for this podcast right now, and it would be a good soundtrack, but I'm going to use some of this music as more like an interlude. Because we're about the halfway point of my sound test here, I'm going to now intertwine the day that the world revived, which is the name of the song, right into my interlude. Trigger really is like a dream game for RPG fans, as it was directed by the lead designer for Final Fantasy IV, Takashi Takeda, and also included the famous dream team of designers, Haranobu Sakaguchi, who was the creator of Final Fantasy, Yuji Hori, who helped write it, who also designed Dragon Quest, and then again you have Akira Toriyama, My personal hero, who designed Dragon Ball Z and wrote Dragon Ball Z. Well, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, but not Dragon Ball GT. That's how I found this game in the first place, because I was searching eBay listings and saw this was finishing soon. And the box art caught my eye because it looked so much like Dragon Ball that I started to contemplate bidding for it. And I usually went to what was ending first, and this was right at the top of the list. So I bought the game, and I couldn't play it for years and years because I never had an NTSC Super Nintendo, or a way to play NTSC cartridges. But obviously now, it's much easier to do. Ah, the memories of buying the game, but not being able to actually play it. But I did buy the soundtrack at the same time, so I could at least hear it. And that brings me back to remind me of one of the tracks... The Memories of Green. It's suiting, it's fitting, because it takes me back to a place where it seems like everything that I see is all green. Which means to me that I can now finally set my mind at peace.
Yasunori Matsuda was the main composer for Chrono Trigger. However, he unfortunately couldn't finish the whole soundtrack by himself as he worked himself so hard that he would actually pass out. And the story goes that his hard drive crashed during the process, losing about 40 potential tracks that may or may not have been finished. How heartbreaking. And now, lost to time you could say. Just like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did when they got sent back in time when the evil Shredder attacked. But don't worry, the turtles did kick shell. The Turtles in Time video game is rare these days on many different levels, depending on how you actually want to find a way to play the game. These days, because the game is so rare and expensive to track down, emulation is a very viable option because of the lack of options available to get this game in any type of form. A few years ago, I made a very personal video on the Turtles in Time. And there was a part in that video where I was rocking out to the Technodrome theme using a guitar. Well, prop guitar, because I can't actually play. But that's not the story, it doesn't matter. Using the Super Nintendo emulator that I had, I was able to break down each sound channel from the Super Nintendo sound chip to make my own arrangements from that song, while still using the unchanged original song as the bass around it. Nothing has been changed in the Technodrome main theme itself, only the arrangement and the placement of each track. I was then able to bring out the guitar from the background all the way to the forefront, so that I could really bring out those guitar riffs to the centre stage. Now that's what I call a sound test. This is a new version of this track, but using the original elements that made the song up in the first place. So on that note, I'm going to go grab the Ninja Turtles for a big comeback tour. Because there's only one thing that's left to do. And that's to rock on, ninjas. The Technodrome! We've got to stop it. We're the only hope the world has. Say no to a guy like that.
now that we have spun right out of that time warp, you know what they say, or what I'm saying right now, what spins around will eventually spin right back around again. As there was a whole nother battle brewing between Konami and Capcom, when Capcom entered Final Fight into the big beat-em-up battle arena, as they brought home the Final Fight franchise to the Super Nintendo exclusively. Well, for at least two of the games, because the first Final Fight did eventually get a port to the Sega CD as well. But all three of those games are now today seen as very underwhelming, and they certainly do have their detractors. Well, the ones for the Super NES, but I'm not one of them. I will say that there is circumstantial evidence to go against my own opinion, but in all honesty, the fact of the matter is that everything is subjective, and to be honest, in my personal opinion, in my own court of law and order, and the rules that I abide by, I like Final Fight 3. For whatever reasons I have, I like it. Because in the third game, there are some upgrades to go with it. There is some growth there. Because Mike Haggard really is rocking the ponytail. It is all the way down his back. It's almost hitting the ground running. Just like he is. And everybody else with the brand new dash button. And you know what? At the end of the day, and at the end of the game, I still prefer to play Final Fight 3 over Streets of Rage 3 any day of the week. Because at least, at the very least, the soundtrack's pretty good. So to decide all this, let's bring in the Law and Disorder track from the Final Fight 3 OST to defend itself against its attackers. But be warned, I'm using Hagar and he is up with his fists ready to swing. His hair as he runs down the road. But don't stop. Because on screen, it's flashing to me to go into law and disorder. complete. See? Wasn't that hard now, was it? Okay, so let's take a little break, take a little breather. Okay, that's enough because there's no time for resting now. Especially if you're a British developer, Dylan Cuthbert from Agronaut Software, who combined his own forces with Nintendo, who set them out on their own difficult mission path to create something new, where no polygon graphics had ever gone onto the Super Nintendo before. 
in 1993's release of Star Fox or Star Wing, depending on where you live in the world. Where I live in the world, Australia is a power region. So we had Star Wing for all this time, not knowing that it was actually called Star Fox everywhere else. And knowing that everybody else within the power regions also got stuck with Star Wing as well, I don't feel so bad anymore. Anyway, there is no reason to brief you on this mission because most likely, more than likely, you have played this out before and you know where I'm going with this on-rails shooter. Because at its heart, Star Fox is a classic age-old story about good versus evil. It's as simple as that. So no time for the mission briefing because newsflash, this is an emergency. As we now join Fox McCloud and his elite crew of helping hands known as the Merciless Mercenaries Star Fox team, our own hearts start to pump much faster alongside our brave heroes as they fly off into the distant horizon towards the Lilat system where they will eventually fade out into the sky. Uh, by the way, did anybody take note of where we're going? Come in, Cornelia. This is Corneria. Congratulations on a job well done. Roger. I'm heading back to Corneria. Fox McCloud and the Star Fox team. And another space pilot that I should mention is Samus Aran. But she's not really much of a team player. She's more of a solo act. She likes to do her own thing. And the series of Metroid, it likes to do its own thing too. Except it's based on another thing. Because the whole concept of the whole Metroid series, if you didn't know, was actually based around the Alien franchise. Yes, not by story, but by themes, by atmosphere, the isolated soundtrack. It all comes together just like an alien movie without being an alien movie. Does that make sense? Not a whole lot of it. Do I ever make sense? Of course I do. Listen to me. Have you not heard me talk by now? Super Metroid was a critical success as the isolated atmosphere appealed to the audience that found it. But Nintendo didn't really see it that way in 1994. 
They never really see eye to eye with the audience. They saw it as more of a commercial failure. So much so that you didn't see another Metroid game until the Game Boy Advance. Or Metroid Prime on the GameCube. That's a long time. That's a decade. That's a full 10 years. See, unfortunately, what they should have done was take a page from Samus Aran and go searching for something that was there all the time. Just like the overgrown Brinster area in Super Metroid, if you go looking for it in this deep and dark and scary place, deep in the core of Zebes, the planet Zebes of where you're playing the game, of where it's based and set in this universe, because once you see it for what it is, in all its glory, it's a real eye-opener. And it is a shame that Nintendo left it in the dark for so long, as it missed the Nintendo 64 completely. But we all got there in the end, so all is forgiven, because that's all now in the past. And going in Super Metroid fashion, let's now backtrack to the overgrown Brinster area. Just in case you missed it, the first time around.
Samus Aran. Yeah, she doesn't really talk that much. But you know what? She doesn't really have to. Because you know why? Her actions speak much louder than her words could ever do. But when it comes to Final Fantasy VI, or Final Fantasy III in the US regions, words are an important part of the game. In fact, you can't really play the game without the words on screen to read. Because it tells the story of the world that you're playing in, of where we have been and where we're going to go. With Terra's theme that I'm going to play, you can see the story of the world unfolding. When you first put in Final Fantasy VI and you load up your Super Nintendo, you come to a cinematic introduction to give you a feel of the game before you even start playing the game, to give you context of what's happening through the text that's on screen that I am now going to read to you. Before I play the song, using my own narration to set up the context of the opening theme. 1000 years have passed with iron, gunpowder and steam engines. People have used machinery to revive the world. By the way, I'm just paraphrasing here, so just go with it for a moment, okay? But now, the legendary power of magic has revived secretly, and a group has risen that intends to control the world with this power. Is mankind on the verge of repeating a terrible mistake?
Fantasy VI really does have its own defining moments, set in stone in the Super Nintendo's history. Going back to my own past, in this own podcast, I'm going to now go back to David Wise once more and the Donkey Kong Country series. Because David Wise did such an amazing soundtrack for the first two games, although I don't believe he did much in the third one until the Game Boy Advance came out, then he put some tracks into that because that was redone. Either way, doesn't matter. Because I'm now going to give him his encore that he well deserves. To me, there are three defining graphical moment enhancements within the Super Nintendo's life. The first one being F-Zero at the start. No one had ever seen that before. The second was with Star Fox itself. Playing polygonal games on a Super Nintendo was obviously something that blew our little minds as much as the game and the soundtrack within that game as well. But you've heard all that. I've already played those games. And I've also played Donkey Kong Country 2. But I haven't played the first one. Sure, Star Fox looked great. But it looked very polygonal still. It was still very futuristic. This had its own different feel. Donkey Kong Country... When it was released in 1994, had this awesome 3D render look to it, which was then downscaled and converted into 2D sprites, giving it a very unique look to the game. It was groundbreaking for Donkey Kong, and now he had been redefined from top to bottom, gameplay, graphically, in all the best ways possible, and of course musically as well. It was really a resurgence for that character, for Nintendo. If I had a choice of one song to represent the Super Nintendo the best way that I can, that song would be The Life in the Minds. Any song on this soundtrack could be a greatest hits song. Any single one of them, they're that good. Yes, Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy, all those RPGs have great music. Those defining moments that Final Fantasy VI brought to the Super Nintendo, Donkey Kong Country also did something similar in its own right. Not only musically, but also graphically. Now remember, this is just a subjective opinion. It doesn't mean that it's set in stone. This is just my personal pick that I think is the best, one of the best tracks on the Super NES. The Life in the Mines. You can believe me, you're just going to have to believe me. Because I have a one-track mind.
better be quiet. These guys have just fallen asleep listening to the life of the minds. I guess they're stuck in their own little world right now. Just like Link was back in 1991. Well, in Japan at least. 1992 for the rest of the world. When I first started playing A Link to the Past, I thought this game was going to be really short. Going by the map that it gives you, I thought, how can they fit a massive game onto this small little map? Well, well, well. You should have seen the shock on my face when I realised that there was actually two parts to the game. The Link to the Past. Yes, there's a Link to the Past. As in, you go back to another dimension. Wowzers, when I go into this portal, it transports me back through time. Hence the name, yes I know, I can't believe I didn't see it before. Well, I'm not really sure if it's in the past itself, but it's an alternate reality that you get transported into from the light world to the dark world. And now would be a good time to mention that the Japanese version was actually called the Triforce of the Gods. They took out the religious aspects of the game out completely for the worldwide version. The reason? Well, I can't really say because it's censored. And you instantly realise when you go into this dark world that you have just doubled the game playing time. I didn't even need any DLC to get there. Because this game is the complete package. From the get-go. The moment that you transition into the dark world, you instantly realise that this game had just doubled. Because the map has now just expanded itself without actually expanding itself. When you look deeper, there's a whole other layer to this map. Literally a whole nother layer. And just like this new round that I'm now playing in, it has new music to go with it. The music that played almost blew my eardrums off because it was like a marching, triumphant song to the dark forces that inhabited that world that I was now in. And it was not only just a little bit scary, but it also got me motivated to actually get moving to the beat of the drum type music thumping in the background. Because you get the feeling, but you can't just hang around here. So right now, I'm going to bring this podcast marching home strong with the triumphant Dark World theme from the Link to the Past and hopefully wake these guys up.
So that brings my Super Nintendo playlist to an end. I really do hope that you've had fun listening to the tracks that I like, personally like, a lot. I put some classic tracks in there and some hidden gems that you may not even heard of. If you think they're hidden gems, if you like them. You're only going to think they're hidden gems if you actually like them. So I would like to thank Arcade Attack for letting me take over all these controls for the last hour and a bit. Without any restrictions at all. But I'm going to have to leave you boys with one of the worst tracks ever made for the Super Nintendo. (laughs) Don't worry, it will turn itself off after the first thousand playthroughs. (laughs) By the way, Bubsy says hello. (laughs) As I say goodbye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating. We'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews, and other bonus content. So, until next time, take care, and we'll speak to you soon.